Hi, this is Naftali Hoff, and you're listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Hi, everyone. This is Tavin Asir, and on today's episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, I'll be talking with Naftali Hoff. Naftali is the president of Impactful Coaching and Consulting. He earned his doctorate in human and organizational psychology, which analyzes successful individual or organizational change and development. He's also the author of Becoming the New Boss, the New Leader's Guide to Sustained Success, which will be the focus of this episode. Hi, Naftali. Welcome to the show. Tanvir, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to join you today. So, Naftali, the focus of your book is on helping new leaders learn the ropes of their new position, of understanding what it really means to lead beyond those outdated notions of positional authority. But I want to start our conversation a few steps before someone takes on the leadership reins by discussing the issue of leadership development. As I'm sure you're aware, the topic of leadership development is high on the list of many organizations because they're facing not only an aging leadership workforce, but the millennial generation, which now makes up the largest generational demographic in today's workplaces, is known to be driven by understanding that they'll have opportunities for learning, feedback, and growth. So before anyone can become the new boss, what are some of the areas that existing leaders and their organizations need to address to ensure the people who they move into these leadership roles are ready and aware of what will be expected of them? Yeah, that's a great question, a great way to start our conversation. Um, I think there's a lot, actually, that needs to be considered. One thing, uh, I don't actually speak in these terms in the book because I think the terminology is something I kind of embraced after I wrote it. Uh, but nonetheless, the idea that people who are transitioning in, both from their perspective as well as their their current boss's perspective, need to understand that leadership is more than what we might call technician plus, meaning to say, you know, it's it's wonderful if you have demonstrated great skills in your current role and you've really built a great reputation, but leadership is far more than just doing what you have done until now, but maybe doing it better or at a higher level within the organization. Leadership is really about shifting your mindset completely. It's about thinking about others and building relationships and really starting to think not so much about the me that got me to where I am today, but the we that's going to get us moving forward beyond this point. So it's a shift in mindset. I think that's critical. And I think that the more that bosses start to think about, maybe we could use the terms uh, skill, uh, a skills gap analysis, think about what are the skills that this person presently possesses? What might be some of the skills that he or she are going to need in order to really optimize and maximize that next level of growth and development and start to work on them proactively? You know, start to think about them, uh, maybe give them opportunities for, for low stakes engagement where they could take on responsibility through a delegation type uh, relationship where they, you know, they're, they're authorized to do something that's not overly significant, that's not going to ruffle feathers or cause people to raise eyebrows, but simply let them start to feel out what leadership is all about and do so in a way where they could get feedback, you know, they could be given, um, you know, some constructive insight about what they're doing well, as well as where they need to improve. And the more you could do that before you hand somebody else the keys and, and really put them in the driver's seat, I think they're going to be much more empowered, much more aware, and they're going to proceed 
at times with caution, which I think is the right thing to do in most cases, which I talk about in the book, but where necessary, they're going to be able to really accelerate quickly because they'll have the tools and the understanding uh, that many people, frankly, don't have when they move into those leadership posts. Now, the reason, Naftali, for why I wanted to start a conversation today around this issue of leadership development is because as I was reading your book, I couldn't help but notice how some of the points you bring up are issues which leaders and organizations should also be making sure they're aware of to not only create and operate effective leadership development programs, but also what they need to be providing to newly minted leaders. Because just as leaders want those and their teams to succeed, because that's how we know we're succeeding as leaders, it's our responsibility to ensure that those we move into leadership positions are given that support, guidance, and direction they'll need to succeed as well. And a good example of this is in the chapter from your book where you discuss the importance of finding yourself a mentor. Now, the idea of mentorship is certainly one we hear a lot about in terms of helping people learn how to navigate the current landscape to gain those promotions and opportunities for career growth. But in terms of helping a new leader get off on the right foot, how should new leaders approach mentorship and what are the key factors that will make this a successful learning opportunity? Sure. So I think finding a mentor is really, really critical. As I write about in the book, it was something that had significant benefit for myself as long as it lasted, which is one of the caveats, of course, simply because oftentimes a mentor relationship is uh, a voluntary relationship. And so you really want to find somebody who can commit regularly to be there and to provide that kind of support. But I think a mentor's role is you know, it's a little bit different than coaching. You know, coaching is something that I do, but um, from the perspective of mentor, in most cases, they're supposed to act uh, like a big brother, like a big sister, like somebody who's been there before and can provide them guidance and support as they're finding their way, uh, the right things to think about, um, to be available to answer questions that the new leader may have. And I think that if you focus primarily, not so much on, on the position that the person presently holds, but who is the right person both in terms of their personality, their availability, what like we talked about, and um, are they able to provide you with the ongoing support? Like I said, not a one and done, but that they're available on a more regular basis. You're going to find in most cases that they've walked more than a mile in your shoes. They'll know exactly what you're dealing with more or less, and they can give you really invaluable insight and support. And whether the person has actually done it, obviously in that respect, it might be better because they already know what to ask. They already have a sense of what the job demands. But even if it's beforehand, because you talked about having a boss sort of proactively help their leaders uh, advance, giving them the opportunity to learn from somebody in advance of assuming that next role can also be extremely valuable for them and really make a huge difference, I would think, uh, in terms of prepping them, giving them insight, and then, of course, helping them feel like they have somebody to hold their hand as they really dip their toes in the water and get started. Absolutely. In fact, I think the idea of providing mentors to new leaders in your organization should be a given because, let's face it, most people move into leadership positions for the wrong reasons. They go into it for the prestige and perks that might come with the title or perhaps because they like the idea of bossing other people around or because in their organization, that's how they reward their star players. And yet, as you mentioned earlier, the simple truth about leadership is what allowed you to succeed in those previous roles doesn't feed directly into the role of leading others. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I appreciate your viewpoint on leadership as you come from an education background. And so I know you appreciate how just because someone is an expert or on some topic doesn't mean they'll be great at helping others to learn and understand that material. And in my experience, this is exactly what trips up so many new leaders. They weren't given that guidance that it's no longer about what you know, but tapping into what your team members know 
and channeling that expertise, knowledge, and creativity towards a common objective. But before we get into leadership and teaching, which you do write about in your book and I definitely want to talk to you about, I'd like to stay on this topic of mentoring because while there is an obvious benefit for the leader, there's also a benefit that experienced leaders and organizations gain from providing these mentorship opportunities in their organization, isn't there, Neptali? There absolutely is. I think that, you know, number one, it really helps the boss get clarity about what he, you know, his or her people need. And uh, when you're looking for a mentor, you're obviously trying to be very strategic. Ideally, you want the mentee uh, to have some input there as well. But I think, like I said before, if you're involved in trying to find people, number one, it can make some great new connections for you. You're reaching out in your community, maybe you're going on LinkedIn or some other type of um, you know, community that you belong to and you're, and you're reaching out and trying to find the right pe- person who could mentor. And of course, I'm talking now about a mentor from without. You could certainly look within as well. And, um, and finding and in, in the process of finding those people, you get more clarity about what that individual that you're looking to support really needs. So I think it could be a win-win. And I think ultimately the real win-win is where the leaderships, the leader, the new leader, I should say, starts to shine. Because when he or she is now growing into that position and doing it at a more accelerated pace, you know, they've uh, cut away some of the learning curve, which otherwise is standard and typical for a new leader, and they're optimizing right off the bat. I mean, the benefit for everybody is huge, and the numbers prove it out. You know, there's a lot of good statistics that talk about how mentorship uh, programs within large companies and small make a huge difference as far as the um, let's call it the, the the business development side, whereas also on the morale and engagement side, and uh, and creating that positivity only has um, even more let's call it cyclical benefits for the company moving forward. Okay, so Nathalie, I'd like to switch gears here and talk about something that even experienced <clears throat> leaders wrestle with, and that is delegation. Of course, when you're a new leader, this can be especially challenging to do because you do feel the need to prove yourself, and handing off responsibilities to others can be hard to do. For one, it might make others think you can't do the job, and so you're relying on others to cover for you. But perhaps more in alignment with the reason why so many leaders are reluctant to delegate responsibilities and tasks is because of the fear that either the work won't get done, or that it'll be done poorly. So how can new leaders broach this necessity of leadership of being able to delegate work authority and tasks to others? Sure. So I I really heard two distinct questions there, and I'd like to approach them independently if I can. Absolutely. Uh, the, the The first one relating to, let's call it the fear factor, the sense that delegation is in some way... Uh, an admission of either incompetence or, or lack of will. So I, I don't I don't know if I would agree with that. I'm, I'm not saying that that's your position, but I, I would I wouldn't so I wouldn't under most circumstances say that that is the way one should think. Let's put it that way, yeah. because frankly, I think we all recognize that none of us. Again, coming back to what we talked about before, the shift from me to we. Uh, I, I think that most of us recognize intuitively that we can't do everything, and I think that if we communicate effectively from the beginning, uh, as we are meeting with our teammates and as we're really starting, when I say we, I'm talking about the new leader now, um, you know, to, to start to build those relationships, I think people will actually very much appreciate the fact that, number one, the leader doesn't have such a such a supersized ego, but number two, that they really see me and others within the team as important players moving forward. And, uh, and you could be strategic about it. You know, you could spend a little time figuring out what 
what the various needs are, and then pinpoint, and this is now transitioning to the second question, then pinpoint the person who you think either presently has the right skill set or you think can develop the right skill set. Uh, oftentimes you have to invest in that person. You have to give them opportunities for training. We talked earlier about mentorship. There are different ways that they could get that learning or they could just practice in a very low stakes environment where perhaps it doesn't have any real impact right away, but they're learning the skills, you know, the behind the schemes, behind the scene skills that are necessary to eventually take over in a more public environment. Um, but that's a way by which it's really critical to, to identify the right person, you know, to build up their skill set and then to give them the authority that they need to do the job and to do it well and communicate that authority to the rest of the team so that everybody knows that you're putting your support and you're putting your, uh, I want to say faith, but you're putting your support for sure uh, in the hands or behind this person. And at the same time, and of course, you're not doing this part publicly, you're checking in with them on a regular basis. You obviously, before you start, want to set some clear goals about what it is that they need to do. Try to show them some examples of what excellence looks like so they have a sense of what they're aspiring towards, but also give them the space that they need in order to find their own way. You know, sometimes we could be a little bit controlling because our name ultimately goes on it, mm -hmm. whether it's on the, you know, uh, the uh, anything related to the company or to the team. The leader ultimately has to be the one who is most accountable. And that's where I think the greatest fear lies. But I feel that if we know our people, we trust them and we invest in them. And of course, we check in and support them as needed. In most cases, we're going to really get a great outcome. But the other piece that I talk about in the book, which I think is really critical, is we need to look at delegation, I think, as an investment. In other words, you might have a little bit of a rocky start with the delegation process simply because that person doesn't necessarily have the technical skills or knowledge that you have. They may not have the experience. You've done it before. They haven't. But over time, what's going to happen is they're going to get better and better and you'll be able to really invest your time in so many other areas. So maybe right now I got to get super involved and invested in this delegation process to help this person succeed initially. But over time, as he or she grows, my involvement will diminish significantly. Probably the model, uh, the model I'm thinking about most would be that of Ken Blanchard and the One Minute Manager. The idea that initially you've got to be doing a lot of directing. But eventually, you get to do a lot of delegating, um, you know, and providing, of course, support along the way. So I think that if a leader thinks in that in that uh, sequence, so to speak, and in that, you know, with that long term vision in mind, they're going to have not only more engaged people who feel more empowered to achieve and really feel good about the work that they're doing, but on a very practical and pragmatic level, they will have others be able to do many of the things that the leader otherwise would have to do freeing him or her up to do some of the things that really only a leader could be doing and should be doing. Absolutely. And, you know, I think this cycles back to our the early point we're discussing about mentoring. I mean, if we include that as part of a leadership development program, then we're actually having people have this mindset of having people recognize that when you were someone who was merging into a leadership position, you had someone looking out to you to help you learn those ropes. They were delegating stuff for you to stretch and grow your competencies. So when you get into that leadership position, you have that notion that it's how am I supporting others and challenging them to grow and stretch their competencies and yes, give them opportunities to fail in the process because we're going to help them through that failure learn how they could do better going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. The more you can do on the front end to help somebody grow, the better it's going to be. 
But at the same time, for your listeners who are aspiring leaders, who may not work in an environment which is, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, as progressive perhaps as the one you're describing, and maybe they don't have a leader that is thinking about their growth, that still should not preclude them from finding their own opportunities to grow. Absolutely. And like I, me- and like I mentioned before, you yeah. should be able to look within your organization and say, you know, where is there an opportunity here where I can get my feet wet? where I can establish my credentials a little bit more, and I could build skills that I'm going to really need, whether it's because I'm promoted from within or I find my next position elsewhere. And I think one of the challenges that many people have is that they don't have enough of a strategic long-term view because they're so busy right now trying to get the job done and mm-hmm. please, their, please their boss today. Yeah. But we really need to find a way to have that long-term view because if you do, you never know what kind of opportunities will open up and you'll be ready to jump at them because you'll have demonstrated capacity and at the least you'll be able to talk about what you would do from a position of strength and knowledge. Absolutely. And not only that, but you start seeing those growth opportunities for yourself where you're not waiting for your leader to provide them because you probably see them and maybe you you start actually being aware that, you know, well, they do offer us opportunities to go seek out training. They do offer us opportunities to fund, you know, if we want to take an online course or purchase certain books that are pertinent to our career development that could lead us down those paths for growth. So absolutely, I completely concur with you on that, Nathalie. Yeah, thank you. Now, Nathalie, in your book, there's another chapter you have that you called Think Positive and Achieve. And I have to be honest that although we are at the end of the year, there does seem to be an even greater level of uncertainty and even pessimism for what might come in the new year. And as you write about in your book, it's important for new leaders, and I would again extend this out to experienced leaders as well, to develop and strengthen their emotional intelligence, not only so we can better understand what our employees are going through, but also to better appreciate how our own emotional state affects our employees. For example, in one study, researchers found that when managers were experiencing conflicts at work or at home, they felt more stressed, exhausted, and negative about their work. And these attitudes soon spread to their subordinates, who also began to feel negative about their work environment, leading to faster burnout rates in the organization. On the other hand, when managers had a happy family life or work life, they were more positive, more energetic, and engaging with their work and with their subordinates, which led employees to feel more engaged and positive about their work environment. So how can leaders, whether they are new on the job or have been in this leadership role for quite some time, think positive and achieve without necessarily faking it by bringing more emotional intelligence to the way they lead? Sure. So I think some of it is proactive. You know, for example, I talk about embracing a healthier lifestyle. You know, I think the idea, for example, of regular exercise and eating a healthy diet, sometimes those things don't really get the the credit or the, the emphasis importance that they deserve. But I think if a person is physiologically fit, it has a significant impact on their on their mental health and on their emotional health. And there's no question if a person walks in and they look fit and trim, they look like they've been working out, they look like they've been taking care of themselves, not only does that make a great visible impression, but I think that from an attitudinal perspective, it's going to give them a pick-me-up and it's going to do the same for people around them. The other thing that I think is really critical is to be mindful and aware of what your mindset looks like to others. And frankly, I didn't appreciate this as much when I got started, maybe in part because the person that I succeeded was, despite the fact that he was significantly older than me, uh, in many ways was a much more energized or energetic type of person, at least externally. And so I think that people had a hard time initially viewing 
my affect and sort of determining what exactly I was thinking and feeling. So I think that it's important to be mindful of how you come across. If you're not sure, I would maybe have some small, low-stakes conversations with a few people, get a feel from them as to you know the kind of vibes that you're giving off, and then do what you can. You talked about faking it, but in all reality, you know the old adage of "fake it till you make it." I think really has some some value. You know, sometimes you just if you, if you if you express positivity, even if inside you're not feeling quite right, you know, you didn't wake up on the right side of the bed, or maybe you're a little bit low in energy, but you find a way to boost your externals, it's actually going to have a very positive impact on your internals, and it's certainly going to have an impact positively on others as well. And the one last thing that I would say also regarding awareness is that we all face stress. You know, stress is a reality. Some of it is good, a lot of it not so good, and we know that there are health implications and other implications from stress. And so I think a leader sometimes needs to be able to take a step back and become more aware of what's stressing me out right now, what are the real causes here, how, how significant are they? In other words, are these really true problems, or am I letting them become bigger than what they are or what they should be? And by going through that exercise and that process, they can typically start to relax, take some deep breaths, maybe take a short walk, uh, go out and get a coffee, whatever it might look like, and then come back people will naturally relax around it because they will see that you found a way to sort of lower your own temperature and it's going to positively affect them as well. Okay, Nathalie, I mentioned this is something I want to talk to you about and I want to bring it up here. And it's your chapter where you write about how organizations and their leaders should create what you call a team of workplace teachers. Now, it's pretty much a given that learning and development has become a critical factor to an organization's long-term success and viability. But there's something you write in this chapter that caught my attention. You write, learning alone is not enough. Leaders who want to stay ahead must make sure that their companies also place a premium on teaching. So before we delve into this chapter further, could you explain, Amthali, why is this so important? Why isn't it enough that organizations create learning opportunities for their leaders and their employees? So, yeah, I think, well, learning is, is, is obviously uh, something that's really important because the world's changing as, as rapidly as it is. You know, we need to constantly stay, if not ahead of the curve, at least not behind it either, and, and be, be learning and continuing to enhance our skill sets because, you know, the workplace is very unforgiving. As wonderful as the opportunities are, there's always somebody out there who's doing it differently and perhaps even better. So we need to be learning. We need to stay you know, current in our skills. But the reason I talk about teaching in particular, and, and this, you'll hear my bias as a former educator mm-hmm. uh, who still does quite a bit of coaching in the educational space, is the fact that there's no comparison between what we might call passive learning or even to a degree active learning and teaching. Uh, research is very clear that those who teach remember things better. Uh, We also know that people who teach gain greater clarity from the outset because they have to find a way not only to, quote unquote, understand it or comprehend it in their own mind, but how do they communicate it effectively to others? So when a person is tasked with teaching, if you're creating an environment where others have to share information, do the research, bring back nuggets of importance, and that could be, by the way, something as simple as going to a conference and bringing it back to the rest of the team and sort of debriefing them on what you learned, 
you are the person himself or herself, the actual teacher is going to gain tremendously, but it's also going to create a culture that we don't need to go outside of our organization every time to find new learning. We're going to create as many experts as we can within our own building, because ultimately, if we have internal expertise, we're likelier to use it. We're likelier to have deeper and more regular communication, and we're likelier ultimately to learn from and inspire one another. So I think that when we shift the mindset, we're not simply looking at, well, I get it from here or I get it from there. What we're looking at is how do I create a, whole, a completely different culture and expectation where learning really takes front, a front and center role uh, within the organization, and everybody knows that if I don't know something, I have somebody who I can turn to easily who's going to have my back, give me the information that I need, and help me grow in what I need to do. Mm. And you know what I like about this notion about the difference between learning and teaching is that it reminds me of a technique I used with all three of my daughters when they were in elementary school and needed help with their homework. Basically, when they had to study or if they were having difficulty solving a problem, instead of guiding them through the process of learning material, I instead tell them, teach me what they knew so far. Now, of course, they knew I already knew the answer. So to help them understand how I wanted them to do this, I would tell them, explain it to me as if I was five years old. And sure enough, they would simplify the material of the concept into terms that a five-year-old could understand. And consequently, they'd have this better grasp on the material and could figure their way forward. So I do see that there's some incredible value in us being able to not just learn the material, but actually then taking it and helping others learn it because we're now teaching it to them. Yeah, I agree. And that's a great technique. And all of your listeners who are also parents, I would certainly encourage that. That's a great, great technique. Um, as a, again, as a teacher, I can, I can really speak to that. And yeah, I think that when you're asking people to take the content and translate it into their own language and use it in a way that's relevant and practical to them, not only does it help those that they are teaching, but it also helps themselves deepen their understanding and really uh, be much more comfortable with its applications. Right. Okay. So Nathalie, here's the second part of this question here. So how do we then as leaders make this leap from simply focusing on learning to creating this workplace of teachers? Because, you know, let's face it, we've all experienced at one time or another mediocre teachers. So how do we make sure, and I'm tapping into your background in the educational field, how do we make sure we're not simply creating that similar situation organization because we all know how disengaging mediocre teachers are in getting students to want to learn what they're teaching? Yeah, so engagement is something which really does take some effort to teach because I think people who are presenting oftentimes do think about content presentation just in in terms of imparting information. Mm. And it's actually interesting because when I talk to teachers, I will often say to them that they are mislabeled as an industry and we have to change everybody's LinkedIn profile. You're no longer a teacher, you're a facilitator of learning. And I think that there's a huge difference because at the end of the day, if a teacher would teach a class and the students would not learn, you can't say no matter how wonderful the content presentation was, you can't say that you did a good job. And so I think it's important for the leader to work with individuals as, first of all, I think it's important to set some type of expectation, whether it's kind of like a book club or some other type of thing where every time you have a meeting or however often you choose to do this, each there's going to be time for another individual to share something that he or she has learned recently, again, either at a conference somewhere outside the building or from within. And then work with each individual, ask them to review you know, their notes and give them a sense that the most important thing that you want for them to focus on 
in that process is besides for sharing the information, letting others do something with it. Because the more that people are engaged, the more that you put them into a cooperative uh, learning environment, for example, small group learning, and they have questions to respond to, or a case study or a scenario that they have to wrap their heads around and provide some feedback. So it goes from a level of basic engagement, which is typically the case when you do you know, your normal PowerPoint or other type of presentation, to a deep, meaningful, active engagement that's ultimately going to bear much more benefit for everybody. Right. And you know, Nathalie, I love how in your book, you note that perseverance is one of the key steps to this process, because I don't think many of us appreciate just how hard it is to teach others. And yet it shares so much in common with leadership, because in both cases, your success is not defined by what you know, or how successfully you understand what's going on. Rather, your success is a product of what the people you teach gain from your teaching them, of how it helps them become stronger contributors and more valued members of your organization or group. Absolutely. And I would, I would take it even one level further. I think perseverance is a great quality across the board. If you have an environment, you create a culture at your workplace where people are invited, so to speak, and even encouraged to make mistakes, not, of course, deliberate mistakes, but to do the right things and allow for mistakes to occur along the way, recognizing that we value the process and the effort in some ways even more than the outcome. I think that that's a message that's going to have tremendous value across the organization because it's going to help people break through their limiting beliefs. It's going to help them try new things. It's going to help them become innovative, creative, and inspired. And so, yeah, when it comes to teaching, we all are going to have better days and lesser days. Uh, we're particularly concerned about it, I would think, because we worry about how others are going to view us and what's going to happen when I'm done. Will I, will I be held in the same level of esteem or will I somehow compromise my standing in the eyes of my peers? But I think that if the leader can convey that message, that this is a learning process for all of us, we all want to get better. But the most important thing is to try and to do whatever you can to engage your peers. Then I think you're really going to have people um, be willing to uh, forego those concerns, move forward with gusto, and uh, and make every effort to inspire and engage and, and, and really inform their peers. Okay, so to wrap things up here, Nathalie, I'm sure everyone understands just how hard it is being a leader today, whether you're new on the job or a seasoned pro, but for those starting out with all these new demands and requirements, what would you say should be their common starting point? What is the one lesson you'd like to leave our audience with so that whether they are grooming the next leaders within an organization or our new leader themselves, this first step is going to set them off in the right direction? Yeah, there's so many things to focus on, Tanvir, but I would say that look to have a long-term view in this process. You know, sometimes we want to run in uh, like gangbusters, really prove our value. Uh, and in the process, we have a tendency perhaps to overstep and overreach. And then we burn some bridges along the way, and it really doesn't develop from there. Unfortunately, the turnover rate uh, in leadership is much higher than it needs to be. And that's why the, the secondary title, if you will, for my book, Becoming the New Boss, is the new leader's guide to sustained success. And I want the word sustained to be there because really you want to look at it. What am I going to do that's going to get people behind me, that's going to build the trust, that's going to open the lines of communication, that's going to allow me to be strategic in the changes that I do ultimately uh, take on and try to advance. And that's going to get people behind me to the point where even if I mess up along the way, it's not going to cause a major alarm. It's not going to set everything backwards. 
you know, John Maxwell talks about this idea. He says, you know, if if you support the leader and you support his vision, you get behind the leader. We understand that. If you don't support the leader or his or her vision, you get a new leader. And that makes sense, too. But where it gets interesting is where you support the leader, but you don't support his or her vision. Then he says, get another vision. Mm. On the other hand, when you support the vision, but you don't support the leader, and this to me is maybe the most fascinating, because I agree with you in principle that what your vision stands for is correct. But if I can't get behind you as a person, then ultimately then also get another leader. So it's really, really critical, I think, for us to understand that leadership is far more than technical skills. It's far more than just knowledge and awareness. It's really about how can I inspire others, connect with others, and then use that relationship to motivate and change others slowly but surely in a manner that ultimately brings us all to a better place. And if you have that long-term view, more often than not, you're going to succeed, and you're going to get a lot of people behind you that really, really want to help you succeed in the process. Excellent advice, Nathalie. I think that's something that leaders, regardless of their background, expertise, and years on the job, can benefit from. Well, thank you so much, Nathalie, for coming on my show and helping to shed some light on both the process of developing new leaders and how organizations can help these new leaders succeed as much as we hope they'll help employees they now have to lead succeed under their direction. It's been my pleasure, Tanvir. And to, just to pick up your point, if I may, for one last second. Absolutely. Even, even though the book is branded as a new leader's book, uh, everybody who has read it that has shared feedback with me, uh, has told me, and I and I, I feel the same way, that well over 90% of the content has relevance to leaders regardless of where they find themselves in their professional uh, continuum, so to speak. And so I think that it is a great resource for all, but of course for the new leader in particular, it would be something that, uh, that I think uh, could have some particular value for them. I wholeheartedly agree. I think there's a lot of advice in there that if not a refresher, it could be stuff that helps people reorient and make sure that they're staying on the true north to their leadership. So thanks Thank again. You. Thanks again, Nathalie, for being on my show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Tanvir. I really appreciate the conversation. I've been talking with Neftali Hoff about his book, Becoming the New Boss, The New Leader's Guide to Sustained Success. To learn more about Neftali's work, visit the webpage for this episode at tanvirnasir.com. And that concludes this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we discussed in this episode, as well as what topics you'd like to hear in future episodes of this show. You can do this by leaving a comment on this episode's webpage, or by filling out the contact form at tavernasir.com. And if you found my show on Google Play, iTunes, or Stitcher Radio, I'd appreciate it if you could take a moment and please rate my show. Until next time, this is Tavernasir. Thanks everyone for listening.